Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Got a big one here, RJ, as we preview their one game this week against the Ottawa Senators. I'm so excited. Rematch versus the Sens. You know, they lost 2 nothing last time, but it's it's time for revenge. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely what it is, especially with the Joey Decord storyline. I mean, he had a pretty good weekend last week. I don't know that we need to talk about that too much. It's more about him facing his former team. Yep, Joey Decord revenge game. I am here for it. Yes. Uh, of course, we're actually going to talk about the Winter Classic for basically this entire podcast. We do have one set, you know, pretty significant news and notes item, but we are going to leave that for the end of the podcast to see if we can try to avoid the deep dive curse. We both know it's futile, but we're going to try anyway. <laughs> um, so we're going to be talking about the Winter Classic, but first, of course, got to thank our sponsor, Queen Anne Beer Hall, sponsor for all these episodes of The Deep Dive. It was super great being up there, RJ, for their Winter Hockey Hall, being able to do that Winter Classic preview after the media escape we had. All that stuff was good, but I think the best thing we can say about Queen Anne Beer Hall, the thing that could best drive traffic to their venue, which is, I guess, you know, the reason they're doing this, um, would be that, hey, you want to go where all the players go after they win a big game like the Winter Classic? It's Queen Anne Beer Hall, because that's where all the players went after the Winter Classic. That's right. A bunch of Kraken players went to the beer hall to go watch the UW game that was happening later in the day. You had Brandon Tanev pulling pints there behind the counter. You had Maddie Beniers there enjoying it. You had Will Borgen uh, making up for some lost beer, uh, <laughs> drinking Das Boot. Uh, it looked like a fantastic time at the beer hall. And yeah, I mean, this is where the players go after a big win. What more do you need to say? Literally nothing other than try the pretzel because I, had, yes. I got my I got my pretzel up there. We're good. Uh, I, I am now satisfied for another month or so. Um, all right, RJ, I, I'm going to kind of hand this over to you and you can kind of walk everybody through, you know, what the lead up to the Winter Classic was. And then we'll get to the game itself because it was a very busy, you know, couple days for us. It was a very busy couple days for the Kraken. It was a very busy couple days for Kraken fans uh, with lots of fun stuff going on. Yeah, it felt like maybe a month's worth of events, content, all this great stuff to put out, just kind of packed into three days. Very glad I was able to experience it with you, Dylan, mm -hmm. coming up here. So I guess we'll kind of go chronologically a little bit, and we'll start with the media skate. So that was really our first you know, exposure to the, the Winter Classic rink, to really seeing kind of the venue up close. Um, and... I, that was a really cool event. It was, we basically just with other media got to skate around on that winter classic rink the night before practice day. And I, I had a fantastic time. I, you know, I always love getting out there on skates and just skating on an ice rink. Uh, but looking around and just seeing the special venue and knowing what was about to happen made it that much more cool. what do you think of the, the media skate, Dylan? Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, being able to skate on a, you know, a specialized surface like that was a lot of fun to see all the details up close of like, you know, the center logo, the uh, all the face off dots being the compass with the NHL logo in it, the blue lines having that kind of, you know, uh, braided rope aspect to them like that that was stuff that you knew you weren't going to see on television on the broadcast so much right so being able to see those up close and personal was a lot of fun. Bottom line, I mean, look, it was like a public skate with a bunch of friends that wasn't crowded, which is like the best form of public skate you could ever ask for. And so that was a lot of fun uh, as well. I do have a question, though, RJ, whether it's a, a public skate or it's something like this, right, a, a special media skate. 
Why does everybody always skate counterclockwise around a rink? Hmm. Which way do they go in NASCAR, Dylan? Uh, yeah, they're going counterclockwise. You're making left turns only. But like, why? Yeah, it's I, just every, natural, right? Every public skate I have ever gone to, you, you're, you're you're making, right? You're doing crossovers to the left. I, well, I think it's because we drive on the right side of the road, right? Is that it? I don't know. You got the slower traffic over by the boards, which would <laughs> be on true. the right side. You got the faster traffic along the middle, middle on the left. It's what we're used to. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's it. So then in Europe, do they all go the other way? I want, well, I mean, you mean like in the UK? Yeah. Australia? Yeah, maybe. Maybe they do. I mean, see, that would be the real test, right? Yeah, that, that would be, that would definitely be Quickly it, looks so. up YouTube video of, of public skate in the UK. Public ice rink. Everyone's going. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that, I'm yeah. sure we got plenty of listeners over there where they drive on the left well, side of the road. Let us know in the comments. Yeah, Please tell us. Solve this mystery for us. Yes, that's why, that's why I ask these questions. Um, so yeah, the, the, the media skate was a lot of fun. I will also say this. It was nighttime and the roof was on. But it still felt like outside because it was nighttime and with the stadium lights on, you don't really see the roof because the lights are so bright. So it felt like we were outside despite the fact that the roof was on. Right. I mean, it, it's just black when you look up. It's the, it's the night sky, basically, or the roof. You can't tell the difference. So it was a cool effect. Very different, though, yep. from during daytime, you know, when the roof is on or off. Um, so it, it didn't really get the full sense of how it was going to look at the game. Uh, but we sure got that the next day on practice day. And I mean, this was, I don't know, for me, Dylan, at least one of the more surreal moments uh, where you really realize, okay, this thing is real. This is going to happen. And it all looks incredible. I mean, we were able to go right down by the ice, right on the glass for the Kraken practicing and uh, just incredible moment for, for me. And I'm sure you felt the same. Uh, what, what moments kind of stood out for you on practice day? Yeah, I mean, I went on the I went on record that night being like, I am I crazy? I thought that was cooler than actually being able to skate on the ice. I, I just thought like being able to watch that practice was such a, a special thing. What I thought was really cool was, right, we go out there first for the practice and we're waiting and they all line up where they're going to, you know, on the docks that they're go the Kraken are going to walk up on. And then we're lined up all on the Vegas dock. And I thought that was kind of fun because it was like, OK, like, we, I think we could take those guys, RJ, just to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, so that that was kind of crazy that we were like out there on the dock part of the stage and they're sitting there on the other dock. Right. Like ready to go. You got, you know, guys like Yams and Berkey with the with the awesome sunglasses on. Maddie's holding a uh, selfie stick with a GoPro on it as though it is his hockey stick. And we were wondering, is he going to. Is he going to try to play with that thing? Like, what's going on there? Um, so there was that aspect of it. They go out, they take the team photo, change into the practice jerseys. And then we got to watch the coolest practice that we'll probably ever watch, RJ, because we got to watch them outside. The sun was shining. The rink looked beautiful. They were they were doing their thing. The ice was gorgeous. I mean, there was just there's something about watching hockey outside that breaks your brain a little bit. Certainly if you're from Southern California where that just can't happen. It literally cannot happen that I was just thought was just the neatest thing ever. Yeah, it's got this magical quality about it, especially you know when you see the elements kind of interacting with the rink with the sun shining little spots on the ice as much as the players didn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't blame them, but, you know, it just it's unlike anything that you're used to seeing, especially when I go to these games where it's all in the same venue every single time. I love Climate Pledge Arena. It's fantastic, but you kind of get used to just the same thing over and over again. And this was different. I also liked when the players were lining up. 
you could see them really reacting to what they were seeing because for a lot of those guys they were experiencing that for the first time and you know we i, I remember at the media skate or you know a couple days beforehand where they let the media see the rink being built and everything just looking around to all of our buddies in the media and just kind of reacting to each other like whoa look at that look at that and you could see the players doing the same thing as they were out there on the dock just waiting to go out there um so i thought that was cool i just enjoyed watching them react mm -hmm. to everything um and then as for the practice i mean you know it was you had like maybe i think Haxtell said maybe 20 minutes 25 minutes of work where you just you know kind of get some drills in you you do a normal practice but then you could see the players also just kind of taking a step back and, and enjoying the moment. And you saw that, especially in the family skate uh, mm -hmm. afterward, where a lot of family, relatives, friends, everybody, uh, wives, girlfriends coming onto the rink and just skating around with the players. And it was a little odd, like kind of watching that from from behind the glass where it's like, you know, this is this is their moment and we're just kind of hanging out with it. But you could see how much it meant to all of the players. Oh, definitely. And, you know, just one last thing on the practice. It was it was interesting, too, to be able to watch them do their normal practice stuff, but then also decide, like, what is going to be relevant for this game, right? The goaltenders working on sight lines, defensemen working on things as far as, like, how is the ice going to be? Everybody was trying to figure out with the slower ice what they could get away with, things like that. That I thought was also really interesting because that's not something that normally at a practice players kind of have to go through where it's this more personal okay let me try my edges over here let me try my edges in the sun what's going on with the ice there how's this going to play like i need to know these things and i thought that was an interesting aspect you you never get in a normal game right and i like the reaction from the, the players after practice too because they were really candid about it yeah and it, it's it's fun hearing the players talk about what they think of the ice or you know the conditions really whereas normally Okay, you hear players talk about it usually to themselves and they're not talking to the media about it. But in this case, they were they were happy to talk to the media about it because they know it's it's an unusual type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Vince Dunn was saying about the sun, and I I feel a little bad. I may have you've pointed this out to me that I may have started some kind of controversy here about Vince Dunn hates the sun when really it wasn't gonna be a big deal. But he said it's gonna suck for the game. And, you know, maybe it'll be fun kind of between the teams to, you know, try and put each other at a disadvantage, put each other in the sun. Um, but, you know, he, he definitely wasn't a fan of it. Um, I don't think he realized the sun wasn't going to be a factor given the game time. Guys yeah. like Chris Trieger, Adam Larson, they realized that, that like, okay, by noon, it's going to be okay because it'll be back behind the wall. Um, but I really enjoyed hearing kind of what the players really felt about the ice quality. We heard that from Kraken players and even from Vegas players. Uh, you know, we had Jonathan Marcheseau talking about how the ice was kind of slow and sticky. Yeah, and that was really kind of nice that we got to do that first media availability with the Vegas players, kind of get some of the talking points that then we could go and take to the Kraken players, right? And yes, Marcia was big on the, the ice being slow and the pucks being slow because the pucks hadn't been frozen down to game temperature for the practices. So they really were not gliding. They were totally being sticky. So then, yes, we were able to go and ask the players. I know I asked Bjorkstrand about it. He said, you know, yes, the, the ice was really, really good. It was just slow. And, and Adam Larson said the same thing. He was like, the ice is great. It's just slow. And the pucks are really slow. But Larson, again, just like with the sun, he was like, they're going to freeze the pucks. The pucks will be fine tomorrow kind of thing. Like we, we, were, we were practicing in not game conditions today. He seemed very aware of that fact. Um, maybe he should have told Vince Dunn. 
a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, maybe later he got a chance to tell his D partner. I mean, they were both being kind of swamped with media, you know, at the at the media availability there. They probably were able to communicate. I'm not surprised. I mean, that's that's like that's the two of their personalities, right? Yes. Vince Dunn, you know, very into it, very focused, but like on the situation, like, okay, this sucks. How are we going to use this? What do I do? And yeah. Adam Larson just being like, yeah, no, it'll be fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> I've thought about this all two weeks ago. It's fine. Um <laughs> All right, so that that stuff was cool. And then, yes, watching the family skate was really awesome, just seeing everybody interact, uh, seeing the kids out there. I mean, still one of my favorite memories was was Dave Lowry. We were guessing his grandkids there, uh, out there with the, with the helmets and the pads on, just being little bowling balls, kind of crashing through everybody. That was a lot of fun. But being able to see everybody out there, Berkey with the little one. Oh, so little. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's Adorable. too cold. So tiny. So I know. I so, know. I couldn't believe that. Really and the assistant coaches, like Jay Leach, um, yeah. You know, kept going over the glass during practice and kind of waving mm-hmm. hi to his family that was right next to us. And, you know, he was so eager for the family portion of yep. that skate. It was it was really great. One last thing I want to mention, too. Uh, we also got to see the goalie setups in person for mm-hmm. the first time out on that ice. They looked so nice. I couldn't figure out which one I liked more because they were all fantastic. I think Drieger's was the one that I liked the most seeing in person as opposed to maybe just in the photos. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. Like it, it, it came across very different in person out there in the sunshine than it did in the photos. And I, I, I'm with you. I liked that one a lot. The Grubauer one played like we knew it would, right? Going with the old school mm-hmm. leather look. Like, it's just, it's classic. It's iconic. It works. It just looks cool. Um, and then Joey's helmet, I thought, looked really cool in person. Like, that was another one that I thought was was really neat, was being able to see that, that uh, baseball card helmet in person out there on the ice. I thought that looked really neat. Yeah, and I'd seen it in person before, like at practices, but it just works so much better with the actual jerseys and the the whole setup. It really kind of needs that to make it work. Yeah. Well, and again, like I said, you're seeing it in natural light. You're seeing it outside. Like like the light is just totally different when you're seeing things like that. And it just, yeah, things play very different than when you're, you're in a, a locker room. Yeah. Last thing on practice, I want to set the record straight, make sure everybody knows, because Joey wants everybody to know mm-hmm. the drone thing, right? Where he blockers the drone down. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the video by now and then kind of figure this was a, a planned thing. But uh, yeah, it was reported, of course, Joey Decor, there was a drone flying around at practice, very low, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of practice, Joey Decord kind of blockered it down into the corner. Uh, and I, I went up to him after I'm like, dude, what did that drone ever do to you? And he's like, no, 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 they made me do it pr had me do it this was this planned thing we were doing this for content uh and great video came out of it uh but just want everyone to know uh joey would never hurt a drone unless he's being told to yeah there we go (laughs) all right so on to the on to the event itself and i think i want to talk about before we get into the game on the ice Mm -hmm. i want to talk about uh, some of the things surrounding the event the pageantry because this was very unusual type of game. And I think that's certainly worth talking about the, the event, the show around it. Um, and I want to start with something that happened kind of adjacent to the game, whether it was the day before or the day of, uh, and that was the fan village. Cause I really enjoy that. I always do whenever the league has events, whether it's an all-star game or a draft, they usually have fun things set up for fans there. Uh, and we got to enjoy that, uh, the night, before the game we went there after practice day and we had our ech meetup which was really cool great to meet so many of you i mean mm-hmm. whenever whenever you come to visit whenever you have these kind of meetup things that that's always right near the top of my list for for my favorite part of it and i'm sure you agree oh yeah definitely like especially because i'm not up here to be able to chat with 
folks that often, right? So to be able to be up there, be able to meet people, shake their hands, all that kind of good stuff, talk hockey, you know, their favorite aspects of, of what the Kraken are, or even what we do, right? So we know what, what to continue to do, or, or you know, if, if anybody's got a helpful note, that's fine as well. Um, and uh, yeah, just to be able to do all that kind of stuff and hang out with people is, is really nice, you know, because otherwise I'm just I'm just reading YouTube comments all the time, right? It's, it's nice to be able to like hang out in person and do something fun with everyone. <laughs> yeah, definitely got to put faces to names that we've seen so often in, yeah. in chats and comments, all of that stuff. So that was really great. Um, definitely a better part of the fan village than I'm sorry, I have to bring this up, Dylan. Yeah. The skills challenges. Yeah. You know, we, we did do those and I'll, I'll give you the chance to explain and kind of talk through them. Uh, maybe what went wrong for you in the skills challenges? Because I didn't put the videos out there, Dylan. I, I just, I wanted to be kind to you. Well, there. you were the only one then, apparently. Okay. <laughs> Everybody else sure did. Uh, yeah, so I was just going to say, like, the fan village as a whole, it was really good. It looked like a lot of people were having fun, you know congrats to everybody who stood in the long line to meet the Stanley cup and take a picture with the Stanley cup, because that line looked brutal. That, that I thing would not have had was, the patience for that. That thing was brutal, but you know what, how often are, is, does the Stanley cup come to town, right? Like that's one of the unique things of the NHL coming is that they bring stuff like, you know, the most famous trophy in sports to your city and you get the chance to sit there and take a picture with it and, you know, zoom up and, and, and take a picture and find, you know, some of your favorite past winning teams on there and, and see, you know, the engraving of them and all that kind of stuff. So shout out to everybody who stood in that line and, and was able to get their picture with the Stanley Cup. They had some other fun stuff around, you know, you could meet Brandon Tanev and or Shea Theodore, depending on the time, right? Stuff like that. Get your get your face on an upper deck trading card, right? And the Kraken colors. That was all cool. And then, yes, they had the skills showcase. They had a couple skills challenges. Uh, those had some some longer lines. We did the shot accuracy one and then the hardest shot. All right, we'll go. Let's go chronologically yeah. here, RJ. We'll work up to my big failure. I'm fine with that. Uh, make it a big feature. We did the shot accuracy thing first, which was a, a you know, a stacked washer dryer unit, right? Washer on the bottom, dryer <laughs> up top. And... Um, I, you know, I, I hadn't skated in four years before the media skate media skate went well. So that was, that was a positive hadn't really stick handled or shot a puck or done any of that stuff in just about as long. So I was really nervous going into these things. I tried to play it cool RJ, but I was so nervous. Anyway, we go in, I decided to go first on that. And, uh, I don't know if you notice, if you go back and you look at your video, but the first couple shots that I take that go into the, to the mm -hmm. washer on the bottom, I wasn't looking at it at all. I am just staring at the ground in front of me at the pucks and I am just firing them and they're going in and I was like, oh, okay. Like, okay. I have two for two. And then that door, RJ, that damn door of the washer starts swinging at the perfect, at the perfect pace to mess up my rhythm perfectly in sync with my rhythm. And I proceed to hit it five straight times as it swings closed in front of me every single time. That was incredible. I couldn't believe what I was watching, that you managed to hit that door every single time. Um, I, you know, I will say this, and I, I think you gave a really good effort there. Um, you, you were like the Kraken, basically, in this game, if if they had just hit 10 posts and somehow <laughs> managed to not score any goals. I, I think you had a simplified game plan. You stuck to it. And I respect you for that. Mm -hmm. You had the first four pucks 
into the lower part of the, the washer dryer. And then you hit the, that door five times and everyone was bugging you to shoot for the top one. So you did a couple times. You didn't didn't hit it at all, but that's OK. That wasn't part of your game plan. Right. It's respectable. Right. Well, here's the thing that that thing was like taller than you or I. That thing was like six feet off the ground. When in a game am I ever trying to shoot a puck six feet in the air? That's two feet taller than the net. It's the most it's the most worthless skill, RJ. I'm sorry. I know you nailed it. You got like five of them in a row up there. Why? Why should I ever need to practice that? It's when would I ever use that in a game? I'm just saying. I was shooting right over the pad but under the goalie's arm, right? Like and I and I did 9 of 10 or 8 of 10 doing that. I'm fine with that. Yeah, no, I mean, your shots were definitely more practical. Yeah, I did get it together after a really bad start, but uh, our scores came out pretty close, just in different ways. Yep, definitely. Uh, and then we went over to the hardest shots. They had, you know, the radar gun there. Everybody can, could step up and you can, you know, take a slap shot. You got three chances. See what you could do. Um, we had you go first. You had, a, you had a good performance. You know, I, you're welcome for reminding you that you had done this before and that you had video of it so you could study the tape and find your terrible Charles Barkley golf swing-like wind-up. <laughs> you know, it's effective, Dylan. It is effective, although maybe perhaps painful given uh, the amount of complaints I heard from you later. Uh, but Okay, I messed up my hand. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're, yeah, I, I wouldn't suggest doing it repeatedly. Um, but you, know, you, it was respectable, and you, you were able to max out at 75, which I think is really, really solid, especially for you a player who never takes a slap shot never i haven't taken a slap shot in a game in years i don't really know how to do it well but uh Clearly. yeah it worked out <laughs> if, if yeah. you ever release that video everybody will say yeah that's not a good look but it, it worked it was very effective and then i went out there what did i max out at 41 43 43 can, no oh, no i okay. think you cool. got up to no you got up you know you had four, 39 43 and then 47 you got up to 47 oh okay I think the wrist shots I took into the washer were faster than that, to be perfectly honest. I'd believe it. I would believe that, too. And I think upon watching, because I stood there, the group moved on, and I stood there, right? And I was watching. I was letting myself feel that pain so that it would never happen again. Because I, I was the slowest person of anybody in our group, by the way, right? So I will own that. I kept them on the ground too much, right? They, they always tell you, hardest shot contest, you always hear the NHL uh, guys talk about this at the All-Star game. Keep it low, keep it low. That's how the radar gun picks it up. That was the exact wrong thing to do. As we found out again later, watching the tape back of yours, your 75 was right at the radar gun, which is about two-thirds of the way up the net. So I should have added some elevation. I think my scores would have been better. Yeah, and I think that the radar gun placement was a little bit higher than, than it maybe it usually is for some of these things. So, you know, take some notes next time we go. Yep. Maybe at the draft in Vegas, they'll have some kind of, a, you know, chance for redemption at a fan fest or, or whatnot. But uh, still, got to respect that you're owning it. Yeah, well, it happened. Uh, it was put out on several Instagrams. There's no there's no <laughs> way around it. Uh, again, you know, it had been a while for me. I was wearing high tops, which also was a little awkward, right? Wasn't able to get that that nice, like, ankle movement, right, to step up into it. Uh, but really, it was just, yeah, I, I think I just kept them too low. I, I should have I read the, the situation and adjusted on the fly, and I didn't, and that's on me. Yep. All right. That's uh, spoken, spoken like a true hockey player in your interview. Yeah, you can give a perfect. Uh, we know you're good at that. All right. So moving on from the fan village, because I'm sure people are tired of hearing about our, <laughs> our skills, exploits or lack thereof. Um, let's talk about some of the other kind of pageantry around this event. I mean, we'll start with, I guess, T-Mobile Park as a venue. 
for an yeah. outdoor game uh, because this felt different than, than either of the two outdoor games I'd gone to. Certainly the one in Dodger Stadium, which was the only other baseball one I've been to, and, and you went to that as well. Um, you know, T-Mobile Park, it's not one that we would have picked I think if you'd asked us mm -hmm. a couple years, and we had been asked really a couple years right. ago before this whole game was announced, where would you have it? And I think we both agreed like Lumen Field would be awesome. You know, maybe Husky Stadium on the water. T-Mobile Park wasn't at the top of our list, but I'm ready to admit I was very wrong. I thought it was a fantastic venue for this. It was. The sightlines played, right? I didn't hear any complaints about people from, from a sightlines perspective. I thought the venue worked perfectly as far as being able to hold a ton of Kraken fans having a lot of them be able to be there, be passionate. I, I think that was a, a massive element of it. And then another thing that this, you know, kind of ties in with the sight lines, but the way they built the rink and where they situated it and the fact that, you know, if you were down the first baseline or the third baseline, you were pretty close, actually, right? As far as these outdoor games go, you were a lot closer than at some other ballparks. And so I thought that element of it worked really well. And I'm trying to remember, I think it was... Adam Larson, who who brought that up when I talked with him, was that the fans are closer for this outdoor game than at other outdoor games. And he liked that because it was a more natural feel. Like, that's more of what you're used to as a hockey player is seeing and hearing the fans there. And so he really liked that element. And that was something that, again, when you're just thinking like, uh, you know, several months out or a year out when you know it's going to happen, but you don't know the venue that's something that I wouldn't have thought of, but it played really, really well for both the fans and the players. Right. And and when it really hit home for me, too, was when we put out our in position tweet and, you know, here's our view, mm -hmm. show us yours. And we had so many responses to that. And I'm just scrolling through all the photos, people, all different parts of the ballpark. And there was not a bad view among any of no. those pictures. I was just like, wow, that's a good seat. That's a good seat. That's a good seat. And that's not something you could have said at all for the game at Dodger Stadium. No. Um so really impressed by the venue. I think a lot of it is because there's just so much height, so much elevation, yep. whether it's to the outfield or, or even to, um, you know, behind home plate. I mean, you just get really on top of the rink and that's something you don't have everywhere. And, you know, that's something Steve Mayer pointed out well in advance of the game actually taking place. You know, the guy in charge with the NHL building the rink. So I think it's something the NHL knew when they scouted out venues. So credit to them uh, for picking a really good one. Uh, let's move on to kind of talking about how T-Mobile Park was decorated the set design, everything that they had, whether it was the shipwreck stage for Hart to play on, uh, whether it was the little boathouse set for TNT, uh, the docks with the players coming out. I mean, there's so many things you can talk about. The, the people fishing in the little boats in the outfield. Um, I mean, wh where should we start, Dylan? Uh, well, let's start with, the with I think, the thing that probably nobody ever paid attention to outside of us, which was the people fishing in the little boats in the outfield. Like, that was the most throwaway aspect of it all, I think, right? And that's fine. Like, they just needed to fill that space out in right field, and they did. Um, I thought the kids playing on the little pond was great to set the stage as fans were coming into the, the park, I thought that was wonderful. You know, TNT kicks off their broadcast coverage before the players are out there and everything. But you've got these kids playing, having a good time on that little pond right next to their set. I thought that was a lot of fun. I thought the, the Hearts stage went well. I really liked that TNT stage. Like, I thought their set was kind of perfect. And, and where it was situated with the rink behind them, 
just the kind of cozy, you know, out by the pond aspect of it. Like it very much felt like that could have just been a scene from somewhere in Minnesota or, you know, Manitoba or somewhere in Canada, right? Like it just felt like something like, yeah, that's just the way things are done when you're talking about some, you know, youth tourney out there in some place in early January. Yeah, you have the lake uh, right by the boathouse and, and the, the detail put into it, too. And we saw this first at the media skate, right? Yeah. They have the little oar on top of the door. You've got the little like, you know, dinghies and everything. It, it was it was perfect. And they really paid attention to detail, even in the throwaway space with yep. the or, you know, the filler space, whatever you want to call it, with the boats there and the people fishing and the actors, they would rotate out people. They had uh, Santa and Mrs. Claus yes. in one of the boats when they played Christmas music. They had uh, people celebrating New Year's with the 2024 glasses yep. and the hats and everything. So, you know, you could have just had the fishermen there the whole time and, you know, maybe rotate out people because that's a long time to be fake fishing. Uh, but no, they put a little bit more thought into it than that, even though it was kind of filler space. So, you know, I'm happy with what they did in the outfield. Talking about the infield uh, with the docks that the players came out yep. on. I thought that was a really nice touch and they were adding things kind of up until the end too. They had the little netting with the, mm -hmm. the sea animals that, you know, sea creatures that was in there. Uh, a flamingo got stuck in there on practice day. I think, you know, Vegas may have tampered with that a bit, um, but that was still really cool to see. Um, you had, uh, you know, the, the stage kind of in the middle, like by the pitcher's right. mound where you had, you know, Gary Bettman and, you know, and others kind of talking from there. Um, I, I thought they handled the infield pretty well too. Yeah, and then it played perfectly. Like, I think one of the biggest things that everybody is going to remember from this Winter Classic, as they should, is the players coming out and walking to the ice. Because we've seen this from former Winter Classics, RJ. They can walk a long way sometimes. It's a very long walk, and it kind of gets like a, okay, like, you know, get there. It's drawn out. Like, yeah, we could get there by now, right? Um, I, I certainly think Corey Perry would agree. And uh, so you, you got to you gotta get, you got to get, oh, oh, it takes a while sometimes for them to get out there. That was not the case for this one. And then for this one, the show aspects, right? Vegas comes, they bring their little sparkler thing or whatever, like, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. And then the Kraken come out. Right. And was that not the coolest outdoor game walkout that we've ever seen or what? Right. Because not only do you have the dock set up, but you've got the fire leading to some of the best pictures those Kraken players have ever taken. Nobody can deny them with the fire around them and everything. Have you set the Adam Larson one as your new desktop background yet? Of course. Like, what did you, first thing before I, when I got home, it was like, yeah, 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 after move, I've got stuff to do. And then I had to do that, <laughs> and then, then I could pay attention to her. So badass. Uh, yeah, it was it was so cool. Um, so you get the fire, and then, RJ, when, when they have the people from Pike Place Marketplace, and they're throwing the fish over them, and they're walking yes. under these fish, real fish being tossed. So Seattle, so perfect. It, just never seen anything like it. Probably not going to see anything like it for a very long time either. Yeah, I was given a tip off that morning about some kind of coordinated fish toss as the players were coming on. They didn't mention real fish. I wasn't told it no. was going to be real fish. I thought it was going to be like the salmon that they eat yeah. after the games. And when I, I was looking at the video, I'm like, are those real fish? That they're tossing over their heads and sure enough they were apparently they had to rehearse that for a long time i don't blame uh -huh. them but credit to the players for for trusting the, the fish throwers there i mean you know they know what they're doing but still that can be a little jarring as a player just walking out and there's being fish there's fish being tossed back and forth right above you I just as a human right your instinct has got to be to duck mm -hmm. yeah but these are professional athletes so they're cooler than us so they don't <laughs> 
That's true. They certainly are. But I will uh, I say, flinched. I, I would have flinched too. There's no way about it. Uh, but here's the other thing. Very, very bold choice because if one of those fish falls, if one of those fish hits a player, now you got to worry about like oil and stuff on that walkway that the players are going to pick up and take out onto the ice. So, you know, happy nothing went wrong because that was a very bold choice because if something goes wrong, it's a lot worse than just, you know, somebody gets, you know, hit in the face with a fish. Yeah, it had to be perfect. Uh, you know, and that's a viral moment in a way you don't want to if somebody gets oh hit. Yeah. I mean, clutch performance from the fish throwers. I mean, really, they're right there below Joey Decord, clutchest performance of the day. Yeah, hey, they're professionals. They they do it all day long. They know what they're they know what they got. Uh, so I I thought that was really fun because you just don't like I said you don't see stuff like that at other Winter Classics to have all of that kind of go on for just the walkouts and then you know, for the walkouts to also not just be this drawn out thing where it's you're waiting and waiting. I thought both of those things kind of set the stage and got everybody in that place so pumped for the game. Yeah. And now while we're talking about player entrances, I want to rewind just a little bit because there was another player entrance before that where you had both teams coming in. And this has kind of become a tradition with these outdoor games where you'll come in and coordinated outfits uh, that maybe are a little bit silly. And so the Kraken come in and they are wearing uh, like the Pike Place, you know, fisherman type overalls with some some white shirts beneath them. Uh, what do you think of the idea for the, the Kraken to do that? I guess there's a few different ways they could have gone, but I, I thought they executed it really well. They executed it really well. And we'll get to the uh, the Jordan Everly quote in just a second. Yeah, I think it sounds better than what the other option was. So there's a whole GQ article going into all of this and how it was all set up and everything like that, that that people can go and find. Um, and uh, they the players apparently were given like two options and then they they voted on this one and boy, when you hear this other option, you'll understand why. The runner-up was a fit consisting of cargo pants and a jacket, but the team decided that was too traditional for us. Yeah, because that's just clothes. Like, the whole, like what, what are we doing here? Like, who even, like, if there, if that wasn't them, like, we really want to do the fisher out, the fisherman outfits, so let's just give them, like, this terrible second choice and they'll all vote for the fisherman outfits. I don't know what else that could be. Uh, but, yeah, that was that was good. Um, so they, they made that. The fisherman thing, look, it played, especially later on, once you saw the fact that they were going to have the fish toss over them and everything. I thought that worked really well. So much of the promotional lead-up to the Winter Classic was, you know, nautical related fishing related right in all the pictures like the jersey reveal all that kind of stuff was done in that way so it made sense i still feel like it was a little safe at, from like a fun perspective especially once then you consider what vegas did but i i thought the players were looked good they had fun with it and that's really what's most important yeah, I, I think exactly. They had fun with it. And you know what? They they didn't go with the other alternative uh, that Jordan Everly talked about. So Everly <laughs> afterward mentioned that uh, some of the players wanted to go with those outfits, but without the shirts underneath and just have the overalls. And uh, I guess he didn't like how he thought that would look. He said, I thought we'd look like firemen strippers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe they would have. So I think they probably went, they chose the best of all the possible options. Unless you disagree, Dylan, you think they should have gone tarps off? No, I don't think so. I think the way they did it was was the right way to go. I, I do. I, I'm 100% with him. I don't know that you want to do that because that was what everybody said when Calgary did that with the overalls for uh, the Heritage game, right? Was everybody was like, well, that's you're getting a little close to something else here. 
Yeah, and I, I don't think you want that, especially since it's already been done. You know, if it's totally yeah. original, then then you can make a statement there. But, you know, I, I think the payoff would not have been worth it. Although I will say on the Vegas side with those Elvis costumes, I do think they kind of stole the show a bit. They they did. They did. And, I, you know, I I thought the one aspect that I thought the Kraken could have leaned into a little bit more and would have been really cool was a couple of the players had fish with them. The, the, the fish, the plush fish that they used to eat after the games. I thought all all of the players should have had one of those. And as they were walking down, they could have all given them out. I thought that would have been like a really cool thing. Or I would have gone a step further because I'm just extra this way. I would have had them all come out, spread out a little bit, stop, and in unison turn and hand the fish to the nearest Kraken fan from where they were as they were going down that little uh, alleyway there, RJ. I would have had like a little choreographed, you know, fish yeet or fish handoff, <laughs> I should say, which is appropriate given Marshawn, you know, took them out and led the way there. They could have all done a fish handoff to, to a fan. Yeah, I like that idea. And I was just about to mention that, of course, you know, that's that's the centerpiece. You got Marshawn Lynch leading them out there. Uh, I'm guessing he probably was not willing to wear one of those outfits. Did not did not appear so. No. <laughs> yeah, no, he was very much himself uh, coming out there. But it was great to see and especially kind of leading the way. It got everyone excited, you know, right off the bat. Um, and it was like, whoa, you know, who is that? As soon as they realized, um, you know, kind of set the tone for everything. So, you know, good on him for being there again, you know, taking the, the ownership part, ownership duties with the Kraken very seriously and helping him out. Um, yeah, Vegas did like, credit where it's due. Vegas did steal the show, you know, their, their entries were better, but you know what? It was all downhill from there. I think that was kind <laughs> yes. of their peak moment of the day. It's uh, you know what it's, it's because the Kraken coaching staff and front office came out wearing some park ranger outfits and the Vegas coaching staff was nowhere to be seen until I went down to go to their locker room, forgetting that the media availability was actually in the interview room. And I saw Bruce Cassidy just in a sweatshirt. Yep, that's true. You know, you got to have the full buy-in, right? The, yep. the coaches participating and, and they were all on board. All right. So fast forward uh, back to kind of where we left off right after the, the yeah. intros as the players got to the ice. You had the coordinated fish toss. Uh, and then you had what I think was one of the coolest moments uh, of, you know, the, the pageantry before the game. And this is something the players pointed out, too, where there's Maddie Beneers, Will Borg, and, uh, you know, Chris Drieger talked about it. Um, and that's the anthem. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, normally it's kind of one of those things. I don't know. At a normal hockey event, I'm always thinking, you know, the anthem's cool. The singers are, you know, I, I love me some Tommy Burton, but you know, you're like, all right, let's get to the game here. But that was such a great moment. And, and they really built it up perfectly mm -hmm. to the point where everyone, if you were there, I mean, you, you felt something with that, uh, with the anthem going, I mean, Nikhil Baga, he yeah. is awesome on that guitar. The kid can shred. I mean, and I love how he brings some personality to it as well, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and really makes you, you feel like this is a unique type of thing. And then the flyover with the helicopters and the guy with the yeah. flag who's who's dangling from the helicopter. I, how often do you see that? Um, and it all just came together really well, I thought. Yes, it was. It was the first moment where I felt like, OK, I'm actually at, you know, a special event. Right before that, it was mm -hmm. like, yes, I'm at a hockey game. It's a little different. This is cool. It's neat. Right. We're, we're, it's different. Right. Uh, and that's what makes it special. That was the first time that it was like, no, I'm actually at something here. Right. Like this is a big deal thing that I'm at was during that. Now, I will say every single person I've talked to since that was at the game all had that same feeling. Right. It was this moving experience for all of us. Every single person I've talked to watched it on TV was just like it was a flyover. 
right? So I, yep. I don't think the cameras were really able to kind of capture the whole experience and everything of being there, having the anthem played the way it was with the flyover, all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it's it's one of those kinds of things. But yeah, having having been there, that was that was really, really special. Yeah, you needed to be there, but I think that's one of the cool things about having an event like this is there's yeah. so much of it where you kind of need to be there to fully experience it. Uh, and then last thing on the stuff around the game, and I wasn't really sure where to throw this in because it didn't really fit anywhere else, but uh, Biz versus Bowie, the, yeah. the fight. Um, I think Biz probably got the better of it <laughs> watching the video. <laughs> what makes you say uh, that, RJ, other than he just, you know, knocks Bowie straight to the ground like it's nothing? <laughs> I know that's a that's a shoulder check from a guy who has definitely uh, played in the NHL before. Um, do you think do you think after that we'll see round two? Because Bowie did tweet afterward, we're not finished, chump. Oh yeah, definitely gonna see a round two. And I'm with Biz. That picture of Bowie when he was walking out with the boxing gloves on to go fight Biz originally, that pick goes hard. That's like the best picture of Bowie of all time. It does. I there's there's a reason it's his pin tweet right there as he's going to uh, sneak up on uh, on Biz and try and fight him. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah, that nice little again obligatory viral moment. All right. So enough about all the stuff surrounding the game, Dylan. I know you want to get into the game yep. itself because yep. there was a hockey game to be played, and what a hockey game it was. It I, was... I think it couldn't have gone better. It couldn't have possibly gone better. It, it couldn't. It was it was totally perfect from start to finish. There's so many things to talk about. I had said it to kick off the post game, which everybody apologies for like the low energy I had to have. I was surrounded by writers trying to do written articles. So I had to kind of like reel it in for the post game because I, I, I was just had to. Um, but now I don't have to. It was, in my opinion, RJ, the best game the Kraken have ever played. It was the best coached game that they've ever had. It was the best goaltending performance they've ever had. Right. Like it was it. It was just the best Kraken game. And for it to have happened at the Winter Classic against the Vegas Golden Knights of all teams just made it so special. Seeing Jack Eichel out there so frustrated, he's cussing up a storm. Really, really special moment. But if we're going to start anywhere talking about this game, RJ, we have to start with Joey, Joey, Joey. Because how do you not? 35 save shutout from him, RJ. He'd been, you know, red hot coming into this game. We saw him, you know, in that tune-up performance against the Flyers. Looked fantastic a couple days previously. Goes out there, wins the MVP, wins that hot cocoa mug trophy, right? And and really put himself out there on the national stage for every NHL fan and for every, you know, league official, everybody who works in the media around hockey. To watch him do that and be like, yeah, this guy is for real. This guy who has taken, you know, a long, circuitous route to get there, <laughs> showed up on the biggest stage and collected the first ever shutout in Winter Classic history. Joey Decord just had himself a game. He really did. I mean, he announced his presence to the NHL. You know, hey, NHL, I'm Joey Decord. I'm here, uh, you know, and, and this is my net for the time being. It was a fantastic game from him. Vegas, you know, they were looking for anything that could cause them to kind of get that spark and get into the game. And Joey just never gave it to him. I mean, the the breakaway save on Jack Eichel after like the one turnover the Kraken made in the D zone, it felt like all game was huge. You know, if, if he scores a goal there on that breakaway, it's a totally different game. And I, and I think you see a much closer game and one that Vegas has a real chance to win. Um, just what an effort from Decord, really meeting the moment too. I mean, he's done that really this whole season with Philip Grubauer being out. And um, this just felt like the pinnacle of that. And 
I think the whole Kraken team had this kind of quiet confidence about them. And we can go and talk about that a little bit as we talk about their game plan and how they executed it. But nobody exemplified that more than Joey Decord. You know, he knew he was going to play well. He knew he has been playing well and, and could go in and execute the way he wanted to. Um, I, I think I, I'm thinking of this tweet, too, that somebody uh, quote tweeted me on Andrew on Twitter, where uh, it's a tweet from ours. Joey Decord on waivers. Time to hold our breath for 24 hours. And that was October 8th, 2022. And just thinking about, you know, how that if that had gone differently. Uh, but, you know, thankfully, he made it through waivers and, and he had this long journey here. And, and it's great. He's finally able to enjoy this. Yeah. And you mentioned the breakaway on Eichel that he saves in the first period. And then the glove save, the ridiculous glove save while he's basically on his belly in the third period, also on Jack Eichel, uh, to keep the shutout alive, was just fantastic. So Joey had himself a game. Yes, and we've had some people point this out. The team helps him out too, right? The defense played a really rock-solid game in front of him. They did what they've been doing, which is, look, they're giving him sight lines of the puck, right? They're holding teams to a little bit further out, and they're making sure he can see it. He's still got to make the save. He made the big saves when he had to. Yes, Vegas hit a couple posts, whatever. That's stuff that happens in hockey, right? Like the Kraken did too. And the difference was that Joey was able to find ways to make saves on bouncing pucks and knuckle pucks because of the ice, and Logan Thompson wasn't. Right, and I think the most telling thing was exactly comparing that game with how Logan Thompson played. And Thompson's a, a fine goalie. He played all right. But you could see how much he was struggling with the bouncing pucks, with the different environment, uh, with shots, especially from the bench side, as you so smartly pointed out early in the game, where the sight lines are a little bit different. And I think this is where Joey Decord's preparation comes into play and there's a reason that he has been ready to meet this moment he was talking about it after practice he said the depth perception issues are it's just so different in an outdoor rink you're used to normally the seats being so close to you in an arena whereas now the bleachers are really far away and yeah you've got the sky to contend with you're not ever used to tracking a puck against the sky when it's flipped up in the air and so the work that he put in over that practice. He was saying, I was having Steve Breer, the goalie coach, just flip me a whole bunch of pucks so I could just work on tracking it from the seats up to the sky, then back to the seats, and then you know into my glove, and then tracking it against the ice. Um, and that's the kind of thoroughness that he has in, in his preparation always. I mean, we've read articles this year about how he uses VR headsets to help him prepare for games. And he's stopping, you know, 50 pucks virtually at, you know, at intermissions or before a game. Um, and it's that kind of prep that, that allows you to play this way in a game with such unfamiliar conditions. I have to think those things are connected. Yeah. I wonder if he was able to get a winter classic set up for the VR. That would have been cool. Um, yeah, he, he was fantastic, and, and like I said, yes, those other things have to happen. Those have to happen for every shutout, right? You got to get a little bit lucky. You got to have the D in front of you playing well, but at the end of the day, it's on you to make the saves, and, and Joey made the saves when he needed to make the saves, and and now, RJ, like I said, he has, he has put himself very much at the forefront of goaltending around the NHL. Already, he had the best numbers over the previous, you know, handful of games. I'm looking at his last eight starts, RJ. Care to guess what his save percentage is over his last eight eight starts? Like, uh, go 925? I didn't know it could be anything could be that high, but what, what is it? Try 956. Oh, my goodness. He has faced 252 <laughs> shots and allowed 11 goals. That's, that's pretty damn good. Right? Like, that's really, really good. And so you've got good numbers like that. He's putting up, uh, you know, W's like crazy right now. Just, I mean, 
I, I know we'll talk about the goalie controversy for the Kraken, but like if he's able to pick keep that up, RJ, I mean he's he's gonna have maybe maybe to clear some room for a different trophy besides uh beside that uh that, that hot cocoa mug. Yeah, we did see the word Vesna popping up a couple times uh, in the post game. I, I think it's too early for that conversation. But I mean, yeah, if he keep, continues this throughout the season and, and leads the crack into a playoff spot or, or better. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he's just playing lights out right now. And it, and it shows you, you never know who's going to be able to do that. Who's going to be able to step in and and uh, and meet that moment and play really well. So Good for Joey. I'm I'm just so happy for him too. You could tell after the game. I mean, he was a little bit overwhelmed too because he had just done yeah. the TNT interview. He just got the trophy. He had just walked that whole distance because he had to walk from the rink out to the TNC stage. In goalie I mean, that's pads. a long way. In in goalie pads. I mean, that's not easy to do. Um, so you know, he had been through a lot, but he uh he just was loving every second of it. Definitely, definitely. Now we talk about the preparation that Joey had for this game and, and what that was able to to come out there and do for him and how well he was able to play because of it. And really, RJ, the entire team had great preparation for this game. I would say, like, you know. Coach Dave Haxtall deserves a round of applause for all the prep work that went into this, both from like a scheme and strategy standpoint, but also from just keeping his players calm for this game, right? It would be really easy for everybody's emotions to get elevated, right? And, and you start getting excited and all that kind of stuff. But all weekend, right, we were talking to guys and they were just quietly confident they were very, you know what I mean? Like they were appreciating the moments, which was also something Hackstall, I think, was helping them do. But at the same time, they're very aware and very dialed in to try to beat this Vegas team. And so I want to give, you know, like I said, just a moment of appreciation for, for Coach Dave Hackstall and what he was able to do just on that side of it. And then going back to the scheme and strategy side of it to come out the way he did. And we, this is something we had talked about in our preview. Would both teams kind of try to play? a little conservative, feel each other out in the first period, get a feel for the ice, get a feel for how the puck plays, all that kind of stuff. And the Kraken kind of did, but what I thought was really interesting was because the Kraken had so recently, just nine games ago, completely changed their style of play from something that was a little overly conservative, they just went back to that older style of play for them. And so it wasn't just pure dump and chase. They were able to have some drawn up plays that they could go for. They were able to have some things where they were able to communicate with each other and already have some feel and chemistry where it looked like with Vegas, as they tried to just do a little bit of a feel out in the first period, that was just awkward for them, right? Because they, they, they're they not used to ever playing that way, right? They're a fast team. They want to use their speed. They want to come in on you and be aggressive. And so their feel out very much looked like them out of their comfort zone. Whereas for the Kraken, they had played like 20 games doing that already this season. So they were able to utilize that to great effect. Yeah, I mean, well said. I, I think Vegas, you know, they're not really a heavy four-checking team. They like those controlled entries. It, it looked awkward. They couldn't cause Seattle to turn the puck over. And, you know, the Kraken right, went right back to their dump and chase style that I know we've criticized so much. Yes. I know after the first period, you were so worried, Dylan. I <laughs> You're like, was... I need to get this tweet out. Yeah. I this is, this is bad. I hope they don't keep doing this. Do you feel a little bit better about it now? And, and are you Will you agree with me that this was a one-off and that they're not going to just continue yeah. to play like this? Definitely. Okay, definitely. you're on board? Yes. I was worried that they would do that just because it was an outside game and they were just going to like stick with that because it's easy and it's manageable. And especially after Tolvanen scored, RJ. I was like, oh no, they were rewarded for this. No, that's not what should happen. 
I know. I'm like, calm down, Dylan. It's one period. It's unfamiliar ice. You just got to feel it out. Dump the puck in. Simplify everything. Like, it's it's outdoors. Get used to the surroundings. It's one period. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you did calm down as things got a little bit better and, you know, and they kind of stopped that. So um glad that it worked out that way. I, I know you're usually right on these things. So it made me a little nervous, too. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I felt uh, trust of the process there. Um, but yeah, the Kraken just, they had their game plan and, and they executed it really well. It's kind of weird to see a team like Vegas just so thoroughly out coached in a game like mm-hmm. this because they don't usually do that. Bruce Cassidy is a good coach. And yet, you know, especially at the end of the game, talking to our buddy Ken from Sinbin.Vegas, you know, he he didn't understand how Cassie didn't necessarily see this coming, right? It, it looked as if Vegas had watched all the tape from the Kraken's, you know, recent successful games after they had changed up their style of play, looked at that, prepared for that, and then all of a sudden it was something totally different hitting them and they just weren't ready for it. Yeah, and then they weren't, they made adjustments for it, but then the Kraken made the perfect counter adjustment for the second period and the Vegas adjustment didn't mean anything. Now, what I thought was weird was Vegas had time in the second period to try to adjust on the fly, right? Go back to what you were doing in the first period. It probably would have worked better for them than kind of continuing with what they were trying to do in the second period. The problem is then you get a second Kraken goal, right? You, then you're looking at a third period, going into a third period, you're down by two. You, you can't worry about what the other team's doing. Now you just got to focus on, on yourself and try to scrape something together. And Vegas even struggled with that. And so I don't know how much of that you know inability to make adjustments was because of the change in scenery and setting, right? You have, you know, you're on the benches outside, you know, you don't have your normal use of monitors. You don't have, uh, it looked like the video coaches were kind of out there with them rather than maybe more so in their familiar settings and things. And so I wonder how much of that played into it for Vegas, whereas the Kraken seemed to be a little bit more prepared for those realities of the game, which again, I think speaks to Hackstall and the rest of the team um, in that prep work they did. And so that was really interesting. And then just, boy, it shows you Vegas is a one trick pony. If they can go out there and play with speed because everything is optimal, they're a good team. When they can't, they don't have anything else they can fall back on. And I thought that was the major takeaway from this game. If the ice is a little slow and they can't beat you with their speed, they don't have anything, right? Jack Eichel all of a sudden becomes the whole offense. And if he's going to get stonewalled on, on his two chances, then that's it. Right. And I was going to ask you, how much do you think the ice conditions and taking away that speed was a factor? Because I think a lot big and, and you know, they're a skilled enough team that you should be able to adjust. And, you know, like it shouldn't just take everything away from them. But again, they know what they do well. They've won a Stanley Cup doing it well. Um, but yeah, they, they don't really have anything else. And I'm also just surprised that Cassie didn't necessarily see the simplified game, at least in the first period coming, given the conditions like from the crack. And that feels like something you should have been able to foresee. Yeah, uh, it was a it was a rough game from Vegas, but uh, I'm I'm not too concerned about it. I think that's yeah. Good. <laughs> you know what? I'm exactly. I'm not uh, you know not not weeping for and, them at all after this one. Yep. And last bit on the prep work from Hackstall and stuff. They also that dump and chase and going in heavy on the forecheck and forcing Vegas to play in and around their net and even behind the goal line. That was perfect read of how Vegas has been playing their previous five games going into this one, where their D was really struggling. Right. Look at all those games. They're allowing three plus goals. 
that's not something we're used to seeing from this Vegas Golden Knights team. Their defense, RJ, you know, Logan Thompson looked a little all over the place, but I think that had to do with the, the way the puck was moving on that ice and how that was unusual. I'm, I'll give him the pass on that. Their defense was a mess. They were reacting to plays instead of trying to be proactive, which is always when you know, you know, a D is kind of panicked and they're 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 losing control. And you never want to see your D lose control like that. It's something we're kind of used to seeing earlier this season from the Kraken. Um, so it was really kind of nice to see that on Vegas's side for once. Yeah, they didn't really have a plan to break the puck out of their own zone. And no. you could see the Kraken four checkers just able to provide that pressure. And, and the D were looking up and they just they weren't sure where to go with the puck because everyone they were going to had a man all over them. Yeah, the Kraken did a really good job of not allowing them to support each other. Right. They the Kraken did a great job of making sure there was always somebody in a, either a dangerous spot or bodying up someone else so that. When Vegas had to go in and defend the puck along the boards or, or, you know, in the corner or wherever it was, they were going to have to do it, you know, one on one against a Kraken player. They were not going to have any support at all. And I think that really threw them too. they're used to playing as a team. And the Kraken did a really good job of disrupting that, of, of not allowing them to communicate effectively and not allowing them to have their kind of easy, you know, dump offs or their easy um, release valve plays that they normally have. That was another thing that the Kraken did a good job of in the first period, especially. And then I felt like that just kind of got to the Vegas decor, especially because they've been struggling so much as of late and they were just never able to recover from that. So that was another one that I thought the Kraken did a good job with. Yeah, and then also that kind of thing leads to you questioning your assignments and losing guys yep. in front. You see it on the Tolvin and goal where yeah. you've got layers of Kraken forwards with Bjorkstrand up front, Tolvin and right at the net, and Petrangelo just kind of doesn't know where to go. He really didn't take away either of them. <laughs> you know, yeah. Both of those guys were open for the tip, really, uh, if you wanted that. So I think you know confusing the Vegas D was was huge in this one. Um, you know anything else to add on on kind of the strategy and how the game went? Because I mean, I think once you get to that point where it's two nothing. And, and Vegas is really chasing the game. At that point, it goes into a really simple kind of, you know, clean breakouts, get pucks deep, shut things down. And in an outdoor game like this, it's just so hard to chase a game. At that point, things are stacked in your favor so much. You just get a few saves and it's taken care of. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. I was happy that the Kraken didn't go full shell mode, right? They didn't collapse in. They didn't try to go like prevent defense, all that kind of stuff. They recognized, look, it's only a two-goal lead and this is a good team. We got to stay aggressive at times, but, you know, pick your pick and choose your spot, right? Don't go aggressive all the time. Pick and choose your spot. And this kind of leads into the next bit I wanted to talk about, which is Yanni Gord did that in the third period, right? He chose his spot. He was able to step up, take away, go in, score his first goal in a very long time. Since November 22nd, he scored his first goal, RJ. Oh, uh, I, I said, new year, new Yanni. And that was just a heck of a play. And it was really, you could just tell that was the moment that it was over. Yeah, I mean, it was New Year, New Yanni, but in so many ways, the same old Yanni. Because if you look at that goal, it's that was the Yanni most Yanni Gord goal, right? Yeah. Where he's he's pressuring somebody, he's making that extra bit of effort, strips the puck off of him and goes, doesn't score on the first attempt, but bangs home the rebound. That was such a Yanni Gord goal. And, and he felt great for him after that one. We had talked about it before the game, just kind of among in media circles, realizing how long it had been 
since Yanni had scored a goal and we're like, oh, well, maybe this is the, the day he ends the drought. And we kind of floated that out there. And so when it happened, we were like, oh, man, of course he does it. And, and in very Yanni Gord fashion. But that's exactly what you want to do when you're protecting a lead. You send your one forward in there. You kind of, you know, get into your one, three, one and, and just hang back. But you let that one forward go in pressure as much as he can. And, and it just shows, you know, how the Vegas D was pretty much all game. Right. Just feeling uncomfortable. Yep with the puck and of course Yanni Gord better than just about anybody in the league able to take advantage of situations like that and hopefully this is a springboard for him too because his line's been doing yep. excellent I mean yep. they've been the Kraken's first line for the last you know two three weeks uh but he hasn't really been getting the counting stats to go with that so hopefully that uh, you know kind of springs him forward right I was gonna say you look at you look at the the Kraken team scoring Bjorkstrand number one forward in terms of scoring second on the team Tolvanen right after him Right. And then it's a long way down to Yanni Gord. So you had to figure he was going to get going at some point. I know some people at the fan fest were also talking. They were feeling a Yanni Gord goal. So I wanted to shout them out as well. A couple people told me that. Um, Tolvin, well, actually, let's let's stick with this because I'm with you. I think this is going to help springboard Yanni Gord. And credit to him, too, on the breakaway, on the bad ice, especially in the third period, being able to control everything there. Right. And make your move. Make sure you get the score because... I'm sure that was not easy for him just because of the ice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's when the puck can pop up on you too. And again, sticking with it too, because yep. it's that second chance he gets right by the yep. pad. He's not going to skate by the front of the net. You know, he knows better. Yeah, exactly. Um, another player gets his first goal of the season, RJ, in Will Borgen. Do you think this is going to wake him up offensively? Um, I don't know that we're going to see a bunch more goals right away. You know, we, we've seen weirder things happen, but feel great for Will Borgen getting that. And, and especially it's got to be satisfying too, just really getting to step into a shot like that. Yeah. Where you got a bunch of time and space and just blast it by the goalie, even if it did kind of knuckle around him a little bit, you know, wasn't the cleanest shot, uh, but, but good for Borgie there. And, and, funny after the game um he said that or maddie veneer said that he was talking with uh borgen you know their roommates of course and telling borgen you know you got to do something really cool if you score get a really good celebration borgen's like yeah i'm not gonna score i don't have one this season uh, and of course it happens for him so um good to see that from him oh definitely and then last player uh i kind of want to talk about here rj before we move on is ellie tolvanen right he scores that goal gets his hundredth point all that kind of stuff, you know, goes on. He's the first Kraken player to score in, you know, uh, in the playoffs too. Is he is he just the the big game guy on this team now? I think he is. I mean, you know, Tolvi's pretty clutch. Uh, you know, he seems to appreciate these big games, get his, his name in the, you know, I don't know if you call it record books, milestones, whatever. The first playoff goal for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, first outdoor goal is another kind of cool milestone. And, and of course, 100th point for him. That was a great tip, too. He, he's not usually one to score like that going net front but it shows how versatile of a player he is. Like he can score every which way. Um, and, you know, he just stays hot. Like, you know, he's been among the top you know, the highest on the team in scoring and he's just having another great season, you know, contract year. We, we won't get into that whole conversation, but it's going to be very interesting. I was going to say, we'll have the contract conversation another day, but yes, third in points, third in goals on the team, Ellie Tolvanen having himself a season and uh, yeah, just, just cementing himself as one of the biggest players in cracking history for, for those milestone accomplishments that he's been able to have. Um, yeah. And thanks to Joey, it stands up as the game winner. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, anything else from the game that you wanted to talk about RJ before we move on to the news and notes uh, from this week? 
Uh, just a couple a couple things after the game, because it was just really fun yeah. to see the guys, um, you know, having as much fun as they were. They were really focused and dialed in for the game. They knew the importance of the two points. Right. Uh, but they got those. And I think they really got the chance to let loose a little bit uh, afterward, which was fun to see getting to go into a locker room like that. It's different than what we normally see, because you've got the speeches, everything. This time they just kind of opened the room right up. You had a bunch of players you could go up to them. You know, it wasn't just the set guys. Um, you know, you had the, the story with Will Borgen having a couple beer cans in his hand yep. and then you know as more of a scrum forms around him you know uh, PR just kind of taking those beer cans away uh you know probably for the best um that was where we got the Everly quote about the fireman strippers yeah. um so you know everything was good there and I also uh, one thing I want to mention too is uh, from Dave Haxtall yeah because we, we talked about how great of a job he did coaching and the X's and O's and all of that but uh, he did talk about before the game whether it was the practice day or, or you know the morning leading up to the game about taking some time to enjoy the moment and uh, you know letting his players kind of have that special time for themselves but also keeping things focused that's a really tough balancing act as a coach to do not just you know for your players but for yourself knowing how important the game is on the ice and yet everything that's going on around you all the potential for distractions yeah. that people have everybody's families there your own families there all the players families are there um and just keep every keeping everyone in the right mindset that is so hard to do keeping 23 players in the right mindset uh and Haxtell did it and he was in the right mindset himself too I mean one of my favorite moments from the game is when we were watching leading up to the third period the coaches were making their walk on the field to try and get to the bench for the start of the third period and Haxtell's walking with the coaches and he looks super serious I mean third period of a huge game he's dialed in and he hears a fan he kind of looks over for a second and then he looks again and he sees this young fan that's like you know waving to him and you know and, and wants to interact with them and Haxel just runs over you know to that part of the field and and just gives the fan a high five and then you know kind of goes back to walking with the coaches you could see the smile on his face as he was walking back there um and after the game he said you know that stuff's really important not just for me but for you know the fans who show up and and want to have a memorable experience and i thought he had the perfect balance of, of, you know, being serious and taking the coaching duties, you know, seriously as he needed to, but also just that little spark of fun that I think everyone really had in this game. Yeah. And I, I think that was really important. You know, you saw him kind of helping pump up the crowd when he came out for the first period, even right. Like he, he <laughs> was confident. He was in the moment. He was excited for this game. And I think after everything that we talked about earlier, as far as the prep work, that him and the team put in, you understand why, right? That means they were working on this for a long time. And to finally be there day of, you get to actually go out and do the thing, right? That's big. And and I think he was just super excited for that. He had all the, all the trust and confidence in the world in his players that they were going to be able to go out there and do what they wanted to do. And he trusted in the in the work that him and the coaching staff had put together for it. And I think that that's really, really neat to see, right? You don't see that very often leading into big moments and big games like this. And to, to see that was really big. And it made me just stop and think, you know, two weeks ago, we were all like, when's he going to get fired? Right? That was the only conversation <laughs> every Kraken media person was having because that was the only thing anybody could talk about or think about. And, and for, for just, you know, the difference in a couple of weeks is insane, right? From that to this, where we're talking about, you know, just this, this insane game that they were able to put together and how perfect it all went. And they just thoroughly outclassed, you know, the, the, the team that just won the Stanley Cup, 
right? Like it's is really, really cool. And it's just another lesson in, you know, going to have to have patience when things get rough sometimes. Right. I think that's the, that's the lesson of this whole story is just trust the process a little bit. Yep. I I'm all with you on that. All right. So closing things out with some news and notes at the end of the show this time, it feels yeah. so weird. Um, so we uh, we have a built-in kind of deep dive curse, I yeah. think, because waivers get announced at 11. As we're recording this, it is 10.01. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to make it. <laughs> Kraken no. have practice at 10.30. I've got to get going for that. Yeah. Um, but the Kraken have placed uh, Jacob Megna on waivers. They did that yesterday, and so we'll find out in about an hour's time. By the time you're listening to this, all of you will know if yes. he was claimed or not. Uh, we don't know at the moment. Uh, so we're kind of going to try something a little different. We're going to have two you know, alternate responses here for one if he gets claimed, one if he doesn't. Uh, and that way you can just listen to whichever one uh, applies, given yes. that you know what has happened already. So Dylan, uh, which one should we start with? If he makes it through waivers or if he's claimed? Let's be optimistic let's say he makes it through waivers how you feeling okay i'm feeling great i'm feeling very lucky that he made it through waivers uh i'm surprised teams didn't pick him up but you know what i'm, I'm glad they didn't because it's good to have that kind of depth in the organization on the blue line you never know what injuries are, are gonna keep happening and i know Riker evans has basically passed megna on the depth chart that's the reason this is happening yeah because it became so unlikely he was getting to games uh but i'm also happy for megna that he's gonna get to play some hockey games He's going to get to play in Coachella Valley. I mean, makes them even more of a powerhouse. Gosh, yeah. they were already good. Uh, he's going to really add to their blue line. Uh, so glad he stays in the organization and, and glad he'll get some games in, More, most importantly of all. And I think that's the reason he was waived. Um, you know, whether he got claimed, which he didn't, or, you know, whether he uh, makes it through, he's getting games in. And yes. I think that's something that Ron Francis, just as, again, as a classy guy, realizes you can't just sit this guy forever. Yeah, exactly. And he will totally help out uh, the Coachella Valley Firebirds. He'll be, you know, a great player for them kind of thing. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on all fronts there. If he gets claimed, and I do think RJ, there's a good chance he gets claimed because you're talking about an NHL caliber defenseman who's making less than league minimum because of how the whole contract thing worked. And there's a lot of teams out there like, you know, I don't know, say a Toronto who could use the blue line depth right now and don't have a ton of cap space. And he's going to look very, you know, appealing to a lot of those teams on waivers. So I think there's a good chance he gets claimed RJ, in which case, you know, good for him, right? He's going to be able to then go and be in the NHL, hopefully get some games in at the NHL level. That's really what you want to see for all of these guys. It sucks. It would suck to lose him. But at the same time, thinking about him as a person, as a player, you know, that that might be what's best for him long term. Yeah. And, and he deserves it. I mean, he's been such a good soldier just going through all the practices and, and not getting to play in very many games uh, with the Kraken. And um, I, I think, you know, he's, he's put in his time. And I think that might be part of why he was waived. Just yeah, Francis feeling bad for the guy. You got to get into games. And I, I feel, you know, I feel happy for him that he's going to get into some games at the NHL level because he is an NHL caliber defenseman. Yeah. He really is. And he belongs in the NHL. Um, and, uh, you know, I think getting into those games, it's, it's just going to help him to, you know, you feel like your career could kind of be lost at a certain point, right? If you just keep mm -hmm. sitting and sitting and sitting, it's hard to stay in that rhythm. So, um, you know, I'm happy for Megna. I, I, 
he was always that reserve that just because yep. of their uncommon blue line health was never needed. Yep. But you know, he was ready to go if it ever was necessary. Turned out not to be, uh, but wishing him best for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Especially a contract year too. You want that NHL experience, maybe try to, you know, up that from below league minimum next year. I know. And by the way, if you're wondering how that's possible, he signed that contract a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, um, you know, the league minimum was lower than it is now. But yeah, you cannot find an NHL caliber defenseman for cheaper right now. It's yes. literally below league minimum. I can't imagine some team won't want to jump yeah. on that. Yeah. And and final note about that, is this so that Jaden Schwartz can come off LTIR in your opinion? The, the reason so, freeing up that roster spot? Quite possibly. I mean, I think a return from LTIR might be soon. Um, and, and in which case they would need that roster spot. And so we'll see if, the, you know, kind of what the corresponding moves are. Um, I forgot to quickly check the media site just to see if that's already yeah. happened. Because so worth noting that that, that Jaden Schwartz took part in the practice ahead the day before the, um, the Winter Classic. He was one of the right. players out there taking part in that practice. Grubauer was also out there kind of operating as the third goaltender too. So, you know, you wonder how, how close maybe he is to potentially coming back at some point as well. Right. And now Schwartz, he still is listed on IR, but they might have to wait till again, they have to wait till basically what they see happens with Magna in about an hour. Yeah. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that uh, going to practice today, but that it, it might be for that purpose. Yep. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for, for listening to this episode of the Deep Dive. As always, thanks so much to everybody we were able to get to see who stopped by and said hi to us, whether at the Beer Hall or at the Fan Village. It was fantastic to meet all of you, be up there. Fantastic to be around so many Seattle Kraken fans, including at the airport the next day, as well as all the sad <laughs> Vegas fans. That was also really nice. And reminder, if you ever want the opportunity to be served beer by Brandon Tanev, there's only one place you can go for that, and that is Queen Anne Beer Hall, the wonderful sponsor of this podcast. So big shout-out to Queen Anne Beer Hall. As always, they're a fantastic host for our Winter Classic preview show as well. Want to want to thank them one more time for that. And for everybody else, we will see you for that gigantic Ottawa Senators matchup in just a couple days. <laughs> Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Alvi, Andrew, Anonymous, Anthony, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Krem, Kat, Kaylin, Shazzle Dazzle, Chip, Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, DJ Singletone, Duthin, EV99, Eli, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Empty Net Hockey, Eric, Ethan, Evan, Fusion Mix, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Helena, Habak, Jay, Jane, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Julia, Justin, Katie, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Levin, Light, Lonnie, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michelle, Nick, Nightdrop, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rachel, Rayanne, Randall, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean, Sean, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team 114 Chris, Ty, 
Wendy, where the Slovakians at, Zame, and Zoe. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.